The first time somebody handed me my lightsaber, I nearly fainted. You're just like, this is my lightsaber, and it's we've never had this lightsaber in the in the Star Wars universe before. And you know, I was getting to play this guy that's never been in the live action Star Wars. So there was a lot of firsts for me. And then standing next to Obi Wan Kenobi himself <laughs> is pretty amazing. Hey everyone, welcome to episode two. No, not Attack of the Clones. No Camino saber darts to be found here, but rather episode two of the Dagobah Dispatch, EW's new Star Wars podcast. It's our weekly show where we obsess over all things Star Wars. This week, we have quite the episode for you. We are going to be joined by the Grand Inquisitor himself. Yes, Rupert Friend from Obi-Wan Kenobi will be hanging out with us for his very first Star Wars interview ever. Not only that, but Kamel Nanjiani will also be joining us for his first interview. How cool is that? Plus, we are going to welcome in EW's Darren Franich, who's going to talk all about his list of the top expanded universe characters that Star Wars left behind, which is to say those characters that are no longer considered canon after Disney came in and turned them into legacy stories, no longer in the official timeline. I'm Dalton Ross, once again, stepping up to the Sabak table alongside my fellow scoundrels, Devin Kogan and Lauren Morgan. Devin, have you reemerged now from your uh, Doctor Strange cocoon of the past few weeks? I am. My brain has been all Marvel, so so I am excited to we've got we've got Obi-Wan on the horizon and I'm excited to to return to a galaxy far, far away. It is on the horizon. I believe Lauren Morgan went out and purchased an official countdown clock. That she just looks at the seconds counting down until next week's uh, Obi-Wan <laughs> premiere. Yes, yes, we are. We're getting very, very, very close. Very excited for it. So uh, We're going to have tons of content with uh, the cast coming up. Uh, and uh, Devin's going to be at Star Wars Celebration, which is taking place. So she's going to get lots of cool stuff there as well. We, we, we can't wait. But that's next week. Let's talk about this week. We're going to bring Darren Franich in in just a little bit to talk about his list of the top uh, sort of expanded universe characters. But there's been a lot of chatter about our Star Wars Top 100 Characters Ever list, which we discussed at length on last week's episode of the podcast. So check that out if you have not already. And, and suffice it to say, when, when you make any sort of ranked Star Wars list, not everybody is going to be happy. And we actually got a message from one very salty listener who was simply not having it with our list. And he recorded... Uh, that message for us. So let, let's take a listen to this this mystery man and see what his particular issue was. Hey there, my name's Terry Kogan. I'm the almost as talented younger brother of Devin Kogan. And continuing in the uh, familial tradition of affinity for funny named little side characters that never show up uh, after their first appearance, I just want to say I'm morally outraged at the exclusion of uh, the very famous Panda Baba and his friend Cornelius Evazan, uh, otherwise known as the two dudes who, you know, talk smack in the bar at Moss Eisley and consequently gets his arm cut off. Um, now, I know that there's not a lot of space in a list that has such famous characters as the client, but uh, 
you know, considering that he was resistant to uh, Obi-Wan's, you know, Jedi mind trickery and the fact that, you know, losing your arm kind of puts him in a pretty good pantheon of some of the strongest people in the universe. I think there's uh, more than enough space for for my boy, the the bar brawler. Uh, anyway, great list. Otherwise, totally agree with it, except for that one small uh, disagreement. And uh, thanks for having me. Wow. Have we have we incited a Kogan civil war here? Like, what's going on? I think we have. I mean, I, th- if there's one thing the Kogan family takes very seriously, it's, again, bizarre side characters with with weird names. We we just we love a weird Star Wars name. And I think I think Pondo Baba is up there. No, that's um, that is my little brother, Terry, um, who that just made me so happy that he was so like he I, I sent him the list and he had so many thoughts and he texted me a couple and then he recorded this. And, and it was just because um, he's the guy we used to watch. You know, he's he's we used to play with lightsabers together. And, you know, he's 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 my my little Star Wars fan brother. And, and so lots lots of opinions. Why has he got to diss the client? Like why is he gonna take? Why is he gonna take down the client? I think the client's a pretty good character. I'm. A, I mean, it's Werner Herzog. I mean, he, he gave us one of the greatest line how readings. How can he go wrong? You know, of I would like to see the baby. Like it's <laughs> how how do you how do you how do you diss that? So sorry. I, I think if, if it's if it's a choice between the two, I, I always got to go with my boy Werner Herzog. I will say. I want to get Lauren's take on this travesty of justice. Uh, Terry's quote unquote morally outraged. Over it. I will say I did wonder about Ponda Baba. I don't know if I'd put his sidekick whose name I never knew and name just I just forgot. I don't know if I'd put him on the list. I mean, let's be honest, Ponda Baba does most of the work in that. I mean, I guess he doesn't get his arm cut off, but like um uh, but I I, I thought about that. I wondered whether he should go on there. Lauren, what do you, how do you feel about Ponda Baba not being on the list? I mean, over Werner Herzog, I, I have to say no. But um, just because I, Werner Herzog was such a delightful addition to uh, The Mandalorian. And I know Ponda Baba is kind of a classic intro into the New Hope uh, world. But I can't, I, I, I can't accept that one. We do love a we do love a severed arm though. There's you know, like he said, yeah. that that is a very you know select number of people in the Star Wars universe get their arm chopped off, and and he's he's up there. You know, you get the Wampa, you get all the Skywalkers. It does show that you know Obi Wan really means business, and he might be like a kindly old grandfather figure, but he's lethal as well. So <laughs> I mean, I can I can see the point. You know, I I I might I might need to be fact checked on this, and trust me, I'm sure somebody will. I don't think like Ponda Baba originally had an action figure, like in the original Kenner line of like basically any one that was in that cantina got an action figure. Like, you know, like anyone, I guess the weird devil looking guy didn't get an action figure either. Like it's literally whatever they could find in the costume shop, but pretty much everyone, I mean, Snaggletooth, you name it, Hammerhead, they all got an action figure. But Ponda Baba, who actually has a pretty central role in that scene, you know, establishing Obi-Wan Kenobi and his badass credentials. Like, I don't think he was in the mix at that point, which is sort of weird. I don't recall it back then either. And, you know, I'm still mad at my mother for giving away my Kenner Millennium Falcon. My mom, so too. I do have a- my mom, too. I'm going to bring it up again because I'm still bitter. But, you know, I was really upset. And I, I bought that with my own money, that stupid Millennium oh. Falcon. And then I went to college and I got home and she threw away all of my, all of my, my Death Star, my <gasps> X-Wing, my Millennium oh. Falcon. And I was really, really mad at her. And then I realized, 
oh, right. Her son's in college and there were a bunch of toys for like <laughs> six-year-olds. Okay. I get, I guess I get it. Like she didn't understand, but. My mom, my mom turned my room into a walk-in closet after I left. So I feel your pain, but she literally gave it away when I was like eight years old and I was, I'm still mad Oh, that's savage. It. That's, that's pretty, pretty rough. Yeah. I was, I was still a kid. It, it wasn't even like it survived until I was in college. <laughs> it, it went out the door somewhere in the eighties. I, I still had all my figures. And when my son was really little, I was like, check this out. And I gave him my original Luke Skywalker with the little, you know, lightsaber that you push up his arm. Within 20 seconds, mm-hmm. he broke the lightsaber off. I was like, you little <laughs> bastard. I was like, do you know how much that would be worth? And like, just to me personally, and like in 10 seconds, it was done. Um, well, listen, uh, Devin's brother, Terry, was not the only message we got. We received another message about our Star Wars top 100 characters list. Uh, another uh, devoted listener who was hopping mad after finding out uh, what our list was. Let's take a listen to that as well. As a mainstream Star Wars fan, as my sister Lauren always likes to say, I need to voice my opinion on the top 100 Star Wars characters. First, Ahsoka. Number eight, I know that she's a Jedi. I know that she was on The Mandalorian. She's a cool character and all. But seriously, number eight? I mean, come on. Baby Yoda is 28. That makes no sense, please. Okay, so second, I think Luke should be above Rey. Don't get me wrong. I like Rey, but the series is based on Luke. I mean, come on. Third, this K280. What? Why is this character at 15? I actually like this droid, but he's higher than C-3PO. I mean, that really doesn't make any sense. Also, I don't even think Vice Admiral Holdo should even be on the list. I couldn't stand that character. And that's all for today. All right. I don't know how much stock we should put into someone who thinks it's K280. But I was going to say. You know, I told her that this is my older sister, Elizabeth. I told her because the first time she recorded and she protested that she only got a minute to do it. She said, I have more opinions than that. Um, the first time she recorded it, she, I could hear her turn signal of her car in the background. So I made her do it again. Um, and then I told her she sent that one and that was better. And then I told her it was K2SO. She's like, I don't care. So <laughs> she, she wow, refused to record it. I was going to no, say, that's a so. direct attack on Dalton. The world's I know, biggest. I, I know. When I heard that, I, when I heard that from her, cause she didn't tell me, she told, she was complaining about Ahsoka, but she was really mad that Luke was underneath Ray. Uh, but I didn't know about the I didn't know about the slam for K two SO before I uh, I heard. This it is from like her, a personal so. attack on me on multiple fronts. Like, right, she is Grand <laughs> Admiral is. Thrawn planning the attack <laughs> and like cornering me in on all sides because she hates K two eighty. She uh, she <laughs> hates Holdo, who we discovered. I'm the one that kept pushing for Holdo. She doesn't even want her on the list. Not that she's too high. She doesn't think she should be in the top one hundred. No, no, she she wanted her. Off the list. And she likes Laura Dern, but she just for some reason, and I, I like Holdo, so I don't quite know why she doesn't and, like Holdo And then that she's much, pissed but. about Luke over Ray, and we know that I was the Ray fan in the room. So she is just taking me to I also went at Luke over Ray, so I gave her that one. So Everyone wanted Luke over Ray. But uh, I, even with all that, even with she's attacking me on all sides, her disdain. <laughs> For Ahsoka must cut deep to you, Lauren. That's gotta hurt. Oh, I, I, she told me that beforehand, and I was just like, I disown you. I, I completely disown you. And then she told me, she's like, I've been a Star Wars fan longer than you. You don't know what you're talking about because she is older than I am. 
but yeah, so we, we did get into it. So that is sort of the, <laughs> the edited version of uh, our comment of her commentary. So, but yeah, I, I, I just, the Ahsoka thing, she, she's obviously very wrong. <laughs> Well, I didn't hear from anyone in my family. So I guess the list is perfect, yeah. uh, according to all of them. <laughs> Either that or they don't like even know what Star Wars is. So I don't know. It's one it's one of the two. Well, listen, that's the fun of these things. Like, we all had uh, different takes in the room and family members are getting into it. They're morally outraged. They think we're ridiculous. Uh, and, you know, just to a personal message to Elizabeth, if I had my way, not only would K280 been, <laughs> been higher than C-3PO, he would have been higher than R2-D2. And uh, that that was not allowed. He did he did try for that, Liz. He did. He did get overruled on that, on that one. On mm-hmm. one of many things I got overruled on. All right. Well, I will not be overruled on bringing Darren Franich in. Uh, so let's do that right after this quick break. So uh, we hope you all enjoyed our list of the top 100 Star Wars characters ever, but that list did have a little bit of an asterisk uh, attached because it was just the top 100 characters that had appeared on screen in a Star Wars movie or TV show. So if you're only in, in the books or the video games, you were, you were out of luck until now because uh, EW's own Darren Franch has come up with a list that you can read on EW.com of the best Star Wars characters Disney left behind. These are characters from the now non-canon expanded universe books and video games. And joining us now to chat about it is Darren French. What's going on, Darren? Just happy to be here to correct an ongoing historical oversight. Uh, You know, you're talking about like loving the books, loving the video games, loving the comics. That's all Star Wars was for most of the 1990s, gang. There were no, there were no, there was no regular content dump of movie or streaming crud. It was all the written word, the drawn page. And uh, some, I have to say, pixelated video games that uh, look way less cool now than they did in 1995. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to admit that uh, it may have been a little more impressive when I was a kid. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you about that, and maybe when we get into some characters on the list, because I was wondering how they hold up, and I'm wondering if you've gone back to see. But, but just, just to give like a little bit more of an explanation for our more sort of casual Star Wars fans, because I think some people are confused. Explain the difference between legacy. And canon. Well, I don't acknowledge legacy. That's a Disneyism, which uh, <laughs> is all historical revisionism. So um, there was the term, uh, the phrase was the expanded universe, which when I was growing up described essentially all Star Wars material that was not part of the movies. Um, but specifically, it really referred to you had a series of books that started coming out in the early 90s, uh, which began with Heir to the Empire, New York Times bestseller, Invention of Grand Admiral Thrawn and Mara Jade and all these amazing new characters alongside of the classic characters. Um, several different linked series of Dark Horse comic books. It kind of extended to the video games like your Dark Forces, your Shadows of the Empire. Uh, even as I'm saying this, the canon started to get fuzzier the deeper in you go. Um, but it, it was more or less the blanket term for everything that was not the original trilogy um, at a time when essentially there was just the original trilogy and then years of kind of licensed products uh, across what we then called multimedia. What was, uh, yeah, well, well, you had number 20 on your list was, was Kyle Katarn, by the way, from Dark Forces. I got to say, so Dark Forces was a video game that came out in 1995? 
want to say. Yeah. And it was basically, this is when the first person shooters were just coming out. Like Doom was a big thing and the, and Star Wars were like, we need a first person shooter. So I, being a big fan of that genre and like loving to blow things up, I was like, this game was made for me. And I thought it was like the best video game in the world because it was a first person shooter in the Star Wars universe. Was I wrong? Like, I haven't played this in, like, 30 years. <laughs> Dark Forces is pretty good. I mean, listen, um, you know, it is a first-person shooter. It is essentially the Doom version of Star Wars. Um, you know, taking that into account, my memory of it, and then falling way down the rabbit hole of watching people play it on YouTube the last week, um, it did really successfully evoke the look and feel of Star Wars in a way that you have to remember – that was kind of the first real chance to walk around in a like somewhat credible looking 3D version of the Star Wars universe. So it was amazing stuff at the time. Um, I mean, I think now you'd go back and say, oh, it's very primitive. Um, I do think that the game was fun. Now the character, Kyle Katarn, um, was essentially a workaround you found a lot in the expanded universe, which was we need someone as cool as Han Solo, but we can't use Han Solo, so let's just invent a fake Han Solo. That's more or less where he started from, and really in the first game, you don't get that much of a character out of him. He did then also become partially a Luke Skywalker type, because the later games let him do cool Force stuff, uh, which was both cool and kind of brought in the whole moral ambiguity are you going to play him as a good Jedi or bad Jedi thing? Uh, which I think for a video game character circa 1996, 1997 was extremely complex, you know, James Joyce level characterization. <laughs> I, I, I noticed that in your top five uh, on the list, never should go to EW.com to read Darren's list for these expanded universe characters that Disney left behind. You have a lot of, Han Solo or Carillion adjacent characters uh, in your top five. And you've already dropped Han Solo's name once at least. This was a time, and, and I mean, you know, you guys are much more experts in the kind of last 10 year period of Star Wars. So maybe this has persisted. But at the time, it just seems like the simplest way to immediately make a character interesting was to say they came from 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 Corellia, Corellia or Corellia. This is all stuff that I've said more than I've that I've read more than more than I've said. Um, but the persistent so, problem in the Star Wars universe. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> Listen, it's open for for pronunciation. Everyone used to be English, and now everyone's everyone is slightly more American. But um, because Han Solo came from there, it almost seemed like that planet became a planet of Han Solo types. You had people like um, Coran Horn, who was a key figure in the Rogue squadron stuff um you had uh, his later wife but who was kind of a cool smuggler uh, myrax Tarek. so it just seemed like that was really to me the key archetype of 90s star wars was you know this sort of kind of dashing renegade ultimately heroic but kind of sardonic and fun uh, and they all came from Corellia. nobody fun ever came from from alderan by comparison like there's there's there, there's not a deep bench of characters there unfortunately beyond princess leia who of course is one of the greatest characters <laughs> i i I, it, I remember writing an article when they first announced that disney was taking over star wars and they're going to uh, have a bunch of new movies and I sort of uh, gave some suggestions for things they should do and looking at the expanded universe. And one of them was Jason Solo, essentially I was saying they should do, which they kind of did with Kylo Ren in a way. <laughs> this is so, I think if, if people were going to go back and look at some of these old books, like this sort of stuff might be interesting to them because of where they end up going with Kylo Ren. What can you sort of say about the, uh, the Solo kids? Well, Jason Solo was a totally fascinating character for me personally, because, um, 
when I was like a kind of younger preteen into teen, that was kind of the era of you had the main Star Wars books, which were nominally for adults or were certainly like long books. Then you had the Young Jedi Knights, which is a series that was very much YA. And like, I would say in tone, it was kind of proto Harry Potter. It's about a lot of young Jedi who go to Luke Skywalker's Jedi Academy. Um, a little bit darker than you might expect. And like one kid gets her arm a- amputated in a lightsaber accident and stuff like that. But, but generally pretty lighthearted. And Jason Solo was a very lighthearted character. He was one of two twin uh, children of Han and uh, Leia. Um, and so I kind of recalled him as this lighthearted, I don't want to say comic relief, but he was not necessarily the most aggressive character in the Young Jedi Knights. There were a lot of other kind of more obvious hero, like, you know, hero types. Um, so then I kind of looked away from the expanded universe. And then years later, I was kind of like, oh, I should see, like, was there any more? What happened to Jason Solo? Like, you know, there have been a lot more books and stuff published after I stopped reading. Um, and it turned out that, yeah, he basically became the proto Kylo Ren and killed a couple of extremely important characters himself came to a really bad end. Um, And yeah, I think that's the kind of thing where you look at the expanded universe. It does seem like in hindsight, it was a laboratory almost inadvertently for stuff that became central to the Disney era. Because yeah, I, I, I guess one thing we can agree on is Han and Leia questionable parenting. Ultimately, I never want to parent (laughs) shame. I'm not a dad shamer. I don't do that. We're all trying to get through the day, but it does seem like there is a trajectory in these star Wars realities for their sons turning out. Not so hot. (laughs) Well, as you talk about a laboratory for Disney, I, I, I'm sure Lauren Morgan's blood was boiling, uh, was one uh, (laughs) entry on your list. Number four, the characters that Disney left behind, uh, one of the stars of Star Wars Rebels, and you mentioned him already, uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn is on this. I have a lot to say about Thrawn and what they've done with this character, but why don't you explain uh, what he's doing on your list, Darren? Don't want to raise any of Lauren's hackles by any means. It's, uh, it's okay. Uh, out of all the animated characters, Thrawn's sort of an, you know, he's not one of my favorites, but I know, understand why he's cool. You know, it, it kind of comes down to... You know, they have brought that character into the new canon. Um, But it comes down to maybe this existential question of, like, who is a person? Are they who they are or are they what they do? And from what I can tell, the new Thrawn can never really do the same stuff the old Thrawn did. Because the old Thrawn was a key villain in that kind of initial sequel period to the, to the original trilogy. He's this amazing, you know, we, we meet him, he's a very mysterious figure. The one seeming like, uh, you know, non-human who became a huge, very important Imperial. And basically, he spends the entire Timothy Zahn trilogy, the author Timothy Zahn, um, who created him, just doing this awesome, like, 50-level plan for eradicating the New Republic, which just goes in so many directions. And I, I feel like that character and that specific momentum is what made him kind of famous. And, you know, whatever they kind of do with him in the new era, it seems like they're more trying to fit him into what they're doing in in the larger sense. And really, I mean, Thrawn was front and center. He was on the covers of all those books, this character that nobody had ever seen before. I think it kind of speaks to how, to me, that's a different character, even if they've taken a lot of his, you know, personality into their kind of new version of him. For the longest time, I was like, I knew he was a, a Star Wars character. And this is before I watched Rebels. But I was just like, where exactly did he come from? He was on like all of these things. And then I was like, and then I went back and like, was like, oh, this is, you know, he he came out of the books. But for the longest time, I was like, he was just prominent. And again, like, you kind of have to just remember, like, this was a time where, you know, 
as far as like seeing Star Wars in your daily life, at least from my perspective, yeah, there was nothing. it was like, there was nothing except you'd go to like a supermarket, you'd go to like the, the, the boy, like long Baganera, the like books corner of the supermarket. And there'd always be like heir to the empire, uh, the last command, which both I think had like this really cool looking blue guy with red eyes in a awesome, like white Imperial outfit. So, you know, in, in a strange way, he was this great visual creation, even though, yeah, as, as you pointed out, Lauren, he was entirely a, a character created initially for that original trilogy before there was more exp- there was more exploration of, of him later, which um, maybe ruined the mystery. I, a little. I think it's a completely <laughs> I listen. He's had over 14 books now because like Darren said, they brought him in and he's on his like third series of books and I've read them all. I've read every single one and I don't know why because I'm posting <laughs> on that original trilogy and he was so great in that original trilogy. And you know what they've done? It reminds me of Xena a little bit. Like Xena oh. was first introduced on Hercules, the legendary journeys. I hate myself for knowing that. I hate myself for like my Saturday night plans being watching Hercules at home. But, um, and she was a badass. She was a villain. And they're like, well, let's give her her own series. And then of course they soften her up and now she's a hero and now she's got, you know, uh, Gabrielle and everything. And it's just a different character that in the books, that's what they've done with Thrawn. Thrawn's like a good guy in the books. Uh, it really makes no sense. If you go back to the way he was originally introduced in heir to the empire, uh, which is just uh, fabulous. It's such a tricky problem, which Star Wars definitely runs across just because it has lasted so long. But anytime there's an amazing antagonist, the more you center on them, the more they just kind of tend to become humanized, you know, humanized. This is kind of why, I mean, to me, to me, the defining character of the expanded universe was and will always be uh, Mara Jade, who was also introduced in the same trilogy. Again, Timothy Zahn was firing on every cylinder possible in that trilogy, really just pushing the canon in in, in some cool new directions at the time. Because Mara Jade has this amazing extraordinarily nefarious backstory. I mean, it was literally an assassin for the worst person in, in the entire universe, the, the emperor. Um, and then even as she became more aligned with the heroes, it didn't feel like she was losing any of that essential mystery. It, it didn't feel like they were softening her so much as just like taking her in a kind of natural progression, um, which I think, yeah, from, from what you're describing a Thrawn, I'm not sure Thrawn would ever really go in that direction as depicted in, in, in that original trilogy. <laughs> it, it, as, as we talk about, you know, Mara Jade, um, you know, it's interesting because they started to cross her over a little bit back in the nineties. She was in this, <laughs> another video game that I thought was awesome at the time. That I'm sure is terrible. Darren, do you ever play Masters of Terrace Kasi? It's basically the Star Wars like Street Fighter Mortal Kombat game. And she was one of the players you yes. could play as. Yes, there was Masters of Terrace Kasi. I, I vividly remember that one. Uh, I, I'm forgetting now why they invented the terminology Terrace Kasi. Was that like a George Lucas original? Or, But yeah, I mean, you had the Star Wars Mortal Kombat Um I'm trying to remember, there was another Star Wars arcade game where you could actually wield a lightsaber, and I'm totally blanking on that one. But I was I was much more into um, the kind of series of, I always played them on the, on the N64, but you basically had a series of games that were constantly just refighting the Battle of Hoth, which was always awesome. And then they'd all have to be like, well, what do we do for level two? And so you had Shadows of the Empire became a um, third person shooter, which, which was actually generally pretty fun. Uh, you had like the Rebel Assault game, Games, um, and then the Rogue Squadron games, which always had 
one amazing level where you were on a snow speeder circling around the the ATATs, um, and then be like, "Well, what do we do next?" Like, I, I guess an asteroid field. <laughs> that was that's that's character number twenty one on my list is the asteroid fields. Those those always popped up when you when you least expect. By the way, pause for the cause. <laughs> They're still there on the. Oh. They're still there on the Lego Star Wars game, which I was playing oh, a lot. Of course you were. <laughs> I want to go around the horn. Do you guys say AT-ATs or ADATs? I say AT-AT. Lauren? I think I say ADATs. I say ADATs. It's, it's like it's a but split. But I mispronounce everything. <laughs> it's a so. split. I, I used to say ADATs because I had like a Star Wars uh, audio cassette where they were called ADATs. Uh, but I think I think then I th- then someone shamed me about that once. And, I, and now I say AT-ATs. Because the thing is, you can't say at sits for ATSTs, you know, like right. that would right. just sound That's strange. Yeah. So, but, but, but going back to, so I'm actually surprised the way they brought Thrawn in. I'm surprised that they have not found a way to bring Mara Jade in. Now, obviously maybe that has repercussions for Luke Skywalker and that's such a central character. So they don't want to bring her in and sort of, you know, I mean, there's no mention of her in the other, you know, last Jedi. So, uh, but they, yeah. you know, I feel like I feel like they should have given Luke more of like a like a romantic uh, like I I'm always one of the feelings with the sequel trilogy is that there should have been more of the Solo and Skywalker next generation. I would have liked Luke to have a kid, and I would have liked to see more kids from Leia and uh, and Han. But you know, I know they were trying to get away from the expanded universe, but I always thought that was kind of a mistake. Yeah, it, it's hard to tell. I mean, to me, the other defining thing about Mara Jade, I mean, you know, besides, you know, as, as Lauren was kind of saying, just, you know, this, this may be a missed opportunity for expanding the ensemble around the original characters is like, I mean, again, she really like, as far as main, ultimately heroic characters go, she has a really rough backstory and it's less tragic, although there's elements of that and more just like kind of disturbing. And to me, that's kind of whatever good things or bad things there are about the Disney era. I feel like, you know, they'd sort of read, you know, Emperor's Assassin and be like, okay, we're going to, we're going to go a different direction here. <laughs> let's, let's, let's say she like washed out of the Imperial Academy or something, which by the way, several other characters on my list also did. That. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Th- there, there's one more I have to ask you about on your list before we let you go. And uh, on Darren's uh, top 20 list of the, uh, the, the best Star Wars characters Disney left behind is number 11, the Wampa who isn't from Hoth. Let's go deep here, guys. Let's go deep. Okay. Did any of you experience Shadows of the Empire? Yeah, I read the book. I played the game. Yeah. You did, you did everything. I didn't. Not Lauren I was like, I I'm think I'm, I'm a similar age to you, Darren, but like in the mid-90s, like after the Ewok movies, I kind of checked out for a while. Understandable. And, yeah. and, and Devin, have you even heard of Shadows of the Empire oh, I'm, before? I'm familiar. It was just, I was I was a little bit younger. And so this was all a little bit before it, my I time. I mean, to, to be clear, you could have had better things to do too. But Shadows <laughs> of the Empire, to me, I, I, I think about that experience constantly. It was essentially a movie-less movie release where, and retroactively seems to have been kind of testing the waters in general from Lucasfilm for what to do for new Star Wars is, but they created this story set between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. They had a book by by Steve Perry. They had a couple of different comic book tie-ins. They had a video game. They had an original soundtrack, which I definitely purchased and listened to <laughs> and have somewhere, somewhere in my collection. So everything except for the movie. And truly... Almost everything about Shadows of the Empire, like, is not really worth paying attention to. It's not a great story. 
there's no Han Solo, so they invent the worst fake Han Solo, yeah. whose name is Dash Rendar, <laughs> uh, who, who just who, who flies around in a worse version of the Millennium Falcon. But, but, but. He's also the star of the game Shadows of the Empire, which is awesome. And even now that it looks extremely mind Minecrafty, um, is still something that I kind of you know go back to with with a lot of joy. Anyhow, in Shadows of the Empire '64, there's an amazing level where you're going through this huge kind of canyon, trying to get to uh, defeat Boba Fett mind-blowing stuff at the time. Um, at one point, you discover that apparently wampas are not just on Hoth. They're also here. And these wampas are like dirty canyon colored. You dig a little deeper. It turns out that the Imperials were doing all kinds of genetic testing on the wampas. They were taking them everywhere. Um, and and just for added, there's no way this was ever canon, uh, bonus points. There was a way you could play as the wampa if you entered a secret cheat code <laughs> at the start of it. So like, to me... You know, all kidding aside, that was just kind of, if I were to really conjure the feeling of the expanded universe, it was all stuff like that. It was all these sort of funny, interesting, strange approaches to Star Wars, whether it was taking stuff from the original movies and tweaking them in a weird, what if Wampas were on another planet way, um, or going in a, in a totally new direction, kind of, you know, creating new alien races or new characters further out from uh, the original trilogy. It's so great. A blast from the past. Yeah. I'm, I'm, all I remember is just like a lot of pheromones in that book. Uh, that's all I remember. There's a lot. Yeah. Princess Leia was almost seduced by our number one character ever, almost lost it to pheromones. That's all I know. It's, 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 a strange, it's a strange read. And it's even stranger because like then in the tie-in comic books, there's a lot of Boba Fett material. And like there are great Boba Fett comics that are like, to me, just – defining versions of the character in this one it's a lot of boba fett kind of monologuing towards han solo and carbonite like it's it's very kind of like ah solo like you know i'll i'm gonna i'm gonna get you there and jabba's gonna pay me money and then and you're just like this is not quite capturing the appeal of the character here <laughs> you know that famously talkative character yeah, boba exactly. fett. He's, he has yeah. so much to say Devin, it turns out that inside of his ship he really kind of you know he's he's like the employees on below deck like he's constantly talking to himself. There's just there's there's that constant inner monologue that uh, that, that appears. Yeah. So I'd, I, I if, if you did if you experienced one bit of Shadows of the Empire, I'd say skip the soundtrack, focus on the video game. <laughs> uh, Darren, it's I'm really curious about the soundtrack now. Sorry. Oh yeah, you oh. gotta hit it. You gotta hit it. I'll try and track it down for you, Lauren. A soundtrack you. for a book. <laughs> FYI, that, that's that's where we were at, circa that ninety six, ninety seven. <laughs> Uh, John Williams did not participate. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Darren, it's a great list. Everyone go check it out on EW.com. Uh, go get back to playing your 1990s uh, first-person shooters, dude. <laughs> Thanks, guys. That was awesome chatting with uh, Darren. And after this quick break, we are going to bring in the Grand Inquisitor, Rupert Friend from Obi-Wan Kenobi, for his very first Star Wars interview ever. And then later, we will be chatting with Kamel Nanjiani, who will also be giving his first Star Wars interview that's all happening right after this. First off, Rupert, how big a Star Wars guy were you when you when you signed on for this? I mean, I don't know anyone that doesn't love Star Wars, to be honest. So it's um, it's just the most richly textured, layered world that has possibly ever been created for 
us to enjoy. So the idea of getting to be a part of that world is just a complete boyhood dream come true. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a lot of like technical questions about your character and stuff in a minute, but but first off, did you ever just geek out being on set, like being on a Star Wars? Set? Oh my god, <laughs> all the time. I mean, the first time somebody handed me my lightsaber, I nearly fainted. You're just like. <laughs> This is my lightsaber and it's we've never had this lightsaber in the in the Star Wars universe before. And, you know, I was getting to play this guy that's never been in a live action Star Wars. So there was a lot of firsts for me. And then standing next to Obi-Wan Kenobi himself (laughs) is pretty amazing. It's crazy. It's a pinch me moment. It really was. What can you tell us about the Grand Inquisitor, especially for people that maybe aren't familiar with his with his history and on the animated show? Okay, so basically, the Grand Inquisitor is the chief of the Inquisitors, and he reports directly to Darth Vader. He's a pretty powerful um, member of the dark side, but he actually, some people who aren't familiar with Star Wars may or may not know this, used to be a Jedi. He used to, you know, fight for the, for the forces of good um, as a, a temple guard. And he also is one of the people who trained jedi in fighting styles so he knows all the things that they know about fighting and that makes him a pretty fearsome opponent i was curious did you go back and watch any of star wars rebels to sort of see your character in animated form or did you just want to kind of take it fresh with the live action yeah i i really wanted to honor the character as i saw him and so i i almost deliberately did not see the animated interpretation myself and deb chow and dave filoni and all of the guys really wanted to do something fresh that honored and was faithful to the spirit of the character without doing a kind of impression of anybody else's interpretation. And it's interesting how you talk about how, of course, he is a sort of a fallen Jedi and trained Jedi. Is this stuff that he's going to talk about using in his job? Or is it something more of just sort of background stuff for you uh, as you're considering how you're going to hunt these Jedi down? Is that something that he's going to openly talk about on the show? Well, I can't give away plot details or will be revealed in a couple of weeks, but I can say it really helps me to have as my backstory this sense of awesome power and knowledge where he's effectively hunting the folks he once was. So he has all this insider information on them and on the way that they might fight or evade capture. And that just brought an enormous kind of feeling of power beneath the performance. Yeah, it's, I guess it's alluded to in that first trailer, right? Like we hear you explaining how the Jedi's sort of fatal flaw, which is so awesome. Talk, yeah. a, talk a little bit about just his techniques. How This guy's obviously very effective at what he does. How does he achieve his results? Obviously, he's a master of the force. But to me, it's that economy of power that demonstrates a truly powerful figure. As in, he's not running around like a headless chicken chasing after people left, right, and center. There are plenty of lower minions who can do that. He's the one who's trusting the force, trusting his uh, his gut. And he honestly, like a kind of expert rat catcher, just really feels he can sniff out any Jedi hiding anywhere, anytime. So if I were a Jedi and I were being hunted by this guy, I'd be pretty afraid. Tell me about the lightsaber. It looks awesome. It is phenomenal. It's... um. Well, it's double-ended, as you've seen in some of the early release artwork. So he can use it with one or both of the ends. He can turn it into a whirling blade. He can fly with it. It's pretty kick-ass. What's lightsaber training like, Rupert? <laughs> <laughs> lightsaber training is amazing. I mean, the stunt guys on Star Wars are 
the best in the world, you know. So every time you show up, you know, to play, as I call it, it's like playing in the best sandbox or the best adventure castle in the world. Because I think that everyone understands that people that fight with these techniques, people that have studied the way of the Jedi, there is a smooth, silent, deadly efficiency to everything. It's not two guys brawling in a bar. This is master, master swordsmen, masters of pretty much all the martial arts you could imagine rolled into one. So there's almost a balletic quality about it that I find very, very beautiful. I want to talk about the look of the Grand Inquisitor because it's it's uh, clearly striking. <laughs> it's got, yeah. So what was what was the makeup process like? Is that sort of a makeup prosthetics? Uh, what's going on with, uh, there and how long did that take to get on you? It was four hours a day. Oh. And um, I worked with the most incredible team of prosthetic artists as well as makeup artists, as well as uh, prosthetic makeup artists. So I had most mornings six hands on me from three in the morning until seven when the rest of the gang arrived. And it was just such a thrill to see this extraordinary creation come to life before my eyes each morning from within my own head, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And, and, and I'm sure it helps you just looking in the mirror, getting right into, into character. And you got the suit as well. Tell me about the suit. And how'd you like rocking a cape, man? The cape was extraordinary. All the armor together weighed uh, about 45 pounds. So having that kind of just sitting on you, again, it's this feeling of immense potential that ripples underneath. The cape itself is weighted with chains so that it moved in a badass way. And yeah, you'd feel pretty invincible with all that stuff on. So when you're wearing a 45 pound suit and you got a cape, a heavy cape, and you got all the makeup and prosthetics on, are, are like, are people running over to you with fans in between takes? Like what's going on? <laughs> Actually, yes. There are amazing neck fans that they've invented. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there was nowhere to really blow me because I, I guess my mouth and nose were my own. So I, they could keep those cool. But you basically just sweat. <laughs> Tell me, Rupert, about the sound. I mean, like I said, it's so ominous in that first trailer. How mm. how'd you work on the voice and coming up with how you wanted to give this character life through the voice? It was interesting because, because as I say, I d deliberately didn't want to use anybody else's interpretation of this character. So it was really something that I felt very instinctively when I read the script. And one of the lines that Joby, the writer, had written was when the Grand Inquisitor speaks he's he's a man or you know a being i should say who enjoys the sound of his own voice you know he's one of those guys who if you didn't stop him would just talk and talk and talk and i'm not giving anything away by saying we're going to experience that in the show he has this very juicy way of enjoying himself and i just thought what does a guy who enjoys the sound of his own voice sound like and that's what we got what was it like working with Moses and Sung sort of on Team Inquisitors there? Oh, it was great. Yeah, what a, what a trio. What a fearsome trio. You know, when you see them in that second trailer coming off their jump ship, you can just feel the whole of Tatooine kind of cowering. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also loved how the, those guys, you know, the three Inquisitors, the main ones, that they're so distinct. You know, their weapons are different from each other. Sung has that incredible kind of helmet thing. And then Moses brought such an original take to her character. So we were a, a happy bad gang. What is the Grand Inquisitor's relationship like uh, with Darth Vader uh, in terms of he's sort of the Grand Inquisitor and leading these Inquisitors? But you got, you know, 
if it's like the HR chart, you got Vader uh, above, above everyone. So what's their relationship yeah. like? Well, obviously with the rule of two, you know, in the HR chart, you've got the Emperor first, then you've got Vader. And I'd say right there, I wouldn't even say below. In his mind, I think he's on the par with Vader. He's, he's not. Obviously, Vader is, would, would probably kill him. But I think it would be quite an interesting fight. <laughs> you know, so you've got this idea of a, a, a fearsome guy, this Grand Inquisitor, who, yes, reports to Vader. And I do think he respects the hierarchy and the order of command. But I think if there were ever a slip up, he would be waiting in the wings. We know the Grand Inquisitor is out there up until the time of Star Wars Rebels, which is a few years mm-hmm. after this. So mm-hmm. has there been any talk about potentially you potentially showing up elsewhere in the franchise beyond this series at some point? Because, you know, sometimes people show up in one place and you never know what's going to happen later. Is that something that's yeah. been discussed or you've thought about? Well, it's a really good point, because one of the things I, I'm loving about seeing the Star Wars universe unfold and expand is that crossover thing. It's seeing characters who are in a limited world, you know, crossing over into a movie or back into a game even. And I think that the characters are so thoroughly created and so exciting to watch that the, the, the world lends itself to that sort of crossover. So, you know, I would be completely open to it. I loved playing the part and would love to see what happened if he were to interact or, you know, if you read his kind of timeline, there are some really fascinating things where, you know, he, he is turned into a hologram and he decides to jump to his own death because he says that, you know, there's some things that are worse than death, mean, referencing Vader's punishment. Yeah. Um, and obviously our period doesn't cover that. So if they decide to, to explore that, I, I would think that would be pretty thrilling. I hope they do. I can't listen. I, I can't wait to see your performance. Like I said, that when that first trailer dropped uh, and seeing you and hearing that voice and hearing the Duel of the Fates music, it was just like the perfect oh, right. cocktail, man. And I just right. want to drink it. I just want to drink <laughs> it up. That's what I want to do. Fantastic. I really appreciate the time, Rupert. Thanks so much, man. Thanks, Dalton. Thank you to Rupert Fenn for sitting down with us. And here is Dalton's interview with Kamel Nanjiani. How big a Star Wars guy were you when you signed on for this madness? Really big, since I can remember. You know, I don't remember a time when I didn't, like, really love Star Wars. You know, obviously, I collected the action figures when I was a kid. I don't know where they went. But just really big into sci-fi and definitely very, very big into Star Wars since I can remember. So it was a very exciting phone call to get. You know, I I, um, I went off to college and my mom threw away all my Star Wars stuff and I was really pissed about it until I realized that like, she's like, oh yeah, he's in college. He doesn't play with, you know, little toys anymore. So I sort of understood, I guess, although I was bummed. Yeah, but she should have run it by you. <laughs> totally. That's Listen, what I told her. I don't want to reopen old wounds, but it's, you know, did, my did you- mom threw out all my mad magazines when, when I went to college and it still, still gets brought up. Uh, as well, it should. Do, do all the, the rules just kind of go out the window when it comes to considering a Star Wars offer? I mean, is there still like, well, I'd like to see the script first, or is that just <laughs> fall by the wayside? Oh, it falls by the wayside. You know, I got the call from my agents and it's always, you know, it's always exciting when you get a call and like everybody's on the phone, like all the agents, even the ones you never talk to. You're like, OK, this is either really good or really bad. And um, I couldn't answer. So then when I called back, they're like, we really want everyone to be on the call. 
And so I had to wait an hour and then they called and they said, hey, they want you to be in Obi-Wan. And I remember exactly where I was. I was in my kitchen and I was like, are you serious? I yelled it to Emily like, ah, they want me to be in Obi-Wan. And then they were like, they want to they won't tell us anything about the character or anything, but they want you to talk to Deborah Child, the director. And I said, yes, of course. And then I got, had a Zoom with Deb and she was kind of like trying to pitch it to me to like convince me why I should do it. And I was like, Deb, I'm going to do it. Like there's no, it's Star Wars. You don't need to like talk me into doing Star Wars. So yeah, it was a very, very, very easy decision, especially, you know, I'm such a big fan of Ewan's and I've never gotten to meet him or work with him. So that was another like exciting piece to the whole thing. Did you have a favorite Star Wars character growing up? I loved all like the uh, folks in like Jabba's palace. Like I was all about all those weird creatures and everything. Did you have a favorite character? I mean, for me, it's really it's, it's really kind of a boring answer. But I mean, Han Solo, I know it's a boring answer, but I really, really love that character so, 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 so much. Uh, since since I can remember, I just thought he was the coolest motherfucker in the world <laughs> he is i'm an empire strikes back guy what, what's your favorite star wars movie camille i think a new hope for me is just because it's the first one i think it's hard to top just because i don't know if if it's real my memory of watching it for the first time but even if it's fake it feels real and whenever i watch it i can't like shake the feeling that there was no star wars in the world and this is suddenly out of nowhere. This is what people saw. They saw a new hope. There was not a new hope. There was no Star Wars. And then suddenly there was Star Wars. And I try to imagine like, you know, people seeing it, grown up people even seeing it for the first time and how like earth shattering it was. I mean, it changed the world. So for me, I think a new hope is kind of just for all the heft of it, the significant of it, everything it means. I remember it when it came out and you're right. It was just literally, I remember that, that first shot of the star destroyer going over your head. You're just like, what oh, is happening? My, it, the scale of it's so much bigger than anything. You know, I mean, I was like, you know, when it came out, I was like zero years old, but I, I still, it looms very large. Is it, is it just like surreal for you, man, to have like been on the X files, be part of the Marvel universe. And now star Wars, like that's pretty much the trifecta. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's really, really surreal. I kind of can't believe it. But each thing I kind of have to approach is just like a job. You know, if I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to be in Star Wars. Then you it's very hard to actually do the work and be there. Although in all these things, there is a moment where you really can't deny that you're doing it. So on this, you know, I met Ewan. He was lovely, wonderful yell action and then he starts speaking and i was like i'm in a scene with obi-wan kenobi right now like that is what is happening and it's completely undeniable because it looks like him it sounds like him you look around and it looks like star wars all around you so there is always that moment where you're like okay i have to like figure out a way to get past this and turn it into just another job which is very challenging because so much of the stuff we did was was practical you know when you're in the volume you like see everything it's not blue screen anymore and so yeah you just kind of have to think about the scene and your character and try and really focus on what you're actually doing rather than the bigger thing of i don't let myself 
honestly, it wasn't until the newest trailer where you see like a split second of my character that I was like, oh, wow, yeah, it really looks like I'm in Star Wars. <laughs> so you didn't like your game plan when you're like sharing a scene, you know, with Obi-Wan Kenobi, you don't even give yourself like sort of like a, a few minutes just to geek out a little bit before you then sort of like get into game face mode. I really try to not give myself like a moment to really let it sink in until I'm done with the job. Because when you're working with someone like Ewan McGregor, who's one of the greatest actors of all time, you want to be good in the scene with them. You know, you want to feel like you deserve to be in a scene with Ewan McGregor. And if I'm like in my head, like, oh, my God, I'm doing Star Wars, that can like work against the actual work of it. What are some of the, like the similarities or differences of working on Star Wars and Marvel projects? Like, did you notice any sort of commonalities or were they vastly different just in terms of the setup and production? I think with Star Wars, the difference was um, obviously, you know, working on Eternals. It's the MCU. Everyone's such a fan of the MCU, but you're sort of working with new characters, right? The people don't really know these characters. It's a new universe that's being created as you're going. With Star Wars, you're really stepping into something that has been established for a very long time. It still is the same visual language. People know these characters. So to me, the thing that sets Star Wars apart from really any other job I've done is how the entire crew was a massive fan of Star Wars. Like every day, people would wear Star Wars clothes, like T-shirts with Chewbacca on them. And just like everyone was really, really every single day excited to be working on Star Wars. And I've never done a job where every single day you could feel that everyone was grateful to be there. Like they would, I would go into work and they'd be like, oh, you know what we did yesterday? We did this, and then we did this, and then we did this. And everyone was just really excited to go to work every day. Like, you know, this is stuff that everybody's loved since they can remember. And the fact that they get to work on it was not lost in this crew. So, so the joy of it for the crew really was unique and, and special. Oh, that's awesome. So what can you tell us about the character of, is it Haja that you're playing? Am I pronouncing it right? Yeah, so its name is Haja Estri, and he's this guy who works on the streets of Dayu, which is this new uh, Star Wars location that we haven't seen before that's absolutely gorgeous. And he's a guy who's worked really hard to stay out of the bigger conflicts at play, right? He just kind of wants to, like, be his own guy. He's, it, it's survival for him is all that kind of matters. And he's this con man guy who, you know, cons people for money. That's what's important to him. And then he has a run-in with Obi-Wan. And suddenly he sort of gets stuck in the bigger conflicts at play, which is the thing that he really tries to avoid. So he's this, like street level con man guy who then gets embroiled in um you know stuff that's way too big for him and then i'm guessing he's gonna have to maybe make a choice and in terms of doing the right thing or the wrong thing and we see where that goes is that kind of the direction maybe he's gonna go in yeah he has to make a choice and you know watch the show to find out what choice he makes <laughs> So whatever happens to your character, you know, whether you live or die by the end of the show, like once a character is introduced in this franchise, like they do tend to pop up elsewhere. Like even ones that have been killed off somehow manage to like find their way back on screen. So like, have you thought about that? Has there been any, any talk about sort of potentially showing up behind this series at some point? I mean, I, it's all I've thought about. I don't know what that does, but yeah, I would love to play this character again, not just because it's Star Wars, but 
it's a really, really, really fun character to play. I've never gotten to play a character like this before. I, I, I mean, I think it's a type of character that we haven't exactly seen in, seen in Star Wars either, like con man, you know. It's a really fun type of guy to, to play. He's this, you know, he can talk people into stuff. So, so that's a really fun character to play. And I actually looked up a lot. I did a lot of research online on con men and on magicians too, because, you know, magicians kind of, are a, let's face it they're a kind of con man right they're tricking people so i really looked up a lot of stuff about that to learn how to like really play a character like this and i just i love this character so much i don't know how but i would love to play him again can we can we get kathleen kennedy to listen to this podcast yeah let, let me ring her up right now i'll get her on the line we'll, do, we'll conference her in Right yeah, make it sound like it's your idea. <laughs> I'll take all the credit for it. So, have you have you have you tried to use any of these con man techniques you learned in your uh, in your actual life, Kamel? Yeah, I'd say people's names to them a lot just to get them to trust me. That's a big con man trick. People like subconsciously trust people who say their own names back to them. We're all obsessed with ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Listen, man, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, you, you, uh, you know, I know you just worked a long day. I really appreciate it. I, I hope we get to chat once we actually, uh, after we get to see the episodes, you can maybe speak a little more freely and stuff. I would love to. Yeah, I'd love to come back. Thank you for talking to me. I'm genuinely, you know, my New Year's resolution was to want, not get too excited about stuff I have coming out because I get too wrapped up in like, how people are going to like it or not like it and that stuff. And I can't ultimately control that. But with Obi-Wan, like I can't help but be really excited <laughs> that people get to see it. I mean, that first trailer when they had the duel of the fates music going and like, I mean, it was just like, it's impossible not to get excited. I know. And every little thing I see of the show, because, you know, I've just done ADR. I haven't seen the episode, so I've done ADR. So I've seen bits of it. And I'm like, oh, my God, this show is going to be so good. So I'm excited as a fan to see it more than anything. But, you know, the fact that I'm in it is a wonderful bonus. That's awesome, man. All right. Well, Kamel, th thanks for the time, man. I appreciate it. I look forward to, to chatting with you again down the line. Our thanks to Kamel Nanjani for hanging out with us here on Dagobah Dispatch. And that's it for this episode of Dagobah Dispatch. If you liked what you heard, subscribe, rate the podcast, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. To keep this conversation going, follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials, EDW on Twitter, and Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag us at Dalton Ross, Devin Kogan, and Morglar. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch is hosted by Dalton Ross, Devin Kogan, and Lauren Morgan. Produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.